Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to open up your word together, your word that never changes. Lord, I pray that you just fill us with your Holy Spirit and you open our hearts up to you even as we open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm, um, I'm getting rather old. I'm starting to lose my hair. My beard is starting to go gray. Um, so maybe you can help me out here. Which, which prophet is it that quotes the psalm that Randy read earlier? He, he sent to um, messed up people telling them that they need to repent and, and he says, God is slow to anger, abounding in love, relents from sin. Which, which is the guy that actually does that? Because there's this whole thing where they're like, they're like, oh, no, who knows? Maybe God might actually relent and not smite us. We, even if we deserve some smotaging. Who was it? Was it, was it? was it Jonah? Was it Joel? Was it, was it one of those Joe fill-in-the-blank guys? It's both. It's both Joe fill-in-the-blank guys. And you go, huh, okay, whatever. No, no, it's actually significant, not just because they're both Joe fill-in-the-blank guys, but because they're preaching at the same time. Jonah and Joel are prophesying at the same time to two different audiences, but both of them are called by God to go speak to people. Both of them are called to tell people to repent. Both of them say, I'm not going to promise you that if you repent, everything's going to be good. Both of them say that they know that God is a God of great graciousness and great compassion and that he, 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 he's slow to anger, abounding in love. Both of them. But they don't even remotely take that the same way. And that is very significant. Because, you know, one, obviously, is in kind of a cute little kid's story about being swallowed by a whale. No. The other one is the doomiest and gloomiest of all the Old Testament prophets in that he's the great and terrible day of the Lord prophet. And that, that's, that's from Joel. Joel is the one who sits there and says... The earth will shake, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, the stars no longer shine. Yahweh thunders at the head of his army, and his forces are beyond number, and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord, the day of Yahweh is great, and it is dreadful. Who can endure it? That's Joel. And yet it's Joel who encourages the people of God to return to God. He says, you know, rend your hearts, man. Maybe, maybe try repenting because God is gracious and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. It's Joel who says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Mr. Doom and Gloom, great and terrible day of the Lord is where we get the Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me hold out hope. I think that's awesome. Because that's not how Jonah saw it. Jonah knew everything that Joel knew. He knew that psalm just as much as Joel did. He quotes it. He knew all about God's love and mercy. He knew all about repentance. He knew he was supposed to draw people to repentance. He knew that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, and that's the problem. Because he didn't want them saved. 
Joel said, I know that God is gracious and God is compassionate and it does my heart good because it terrifies me to think of people falling under judgment. And Jonah said, I know that God is gracious and compassionate and it really bugs me because I want to see people fall under judgment. I want to. I don't want them being saved. I want to see them fry. I, I, I was telling Peggy before the service, I, I confess, as I pre- was preparing this sermon, I mean, for weeks I've been preparing this sermon, and as I was doing it, I was just like, this is just not a very Kevinish sermon in a lot of ways. This is not the take I would normally take when going through Jonah. And I kept praying about it, and I just kept feeling like, this is what God is wanting me to say, and yet I couldn't understand exactly why, because it just seemed to be coming out of the blue. And then Friday night we find out about Peoria Chinese Christian Church being vandalized and people thinking that that was okay to do. In fact, they film each other on their cell phones destroying this church because, you know, it's fun. But that wasn't it. It was reading InstaFace Twit um, after the fact and the various comments. And there were a lot of churches that came and said, I want to help and, oh, that's horrible and things like that. What, what struck me was a Christian this week who on one of the social networky thingies said upon hearing about this vandalism said, may people who vandalize churches of God rot in hell. I went, oh, that's why. That's my sermon. That's that's what I've been like, where is that coming from, Lord? I doesn't seem to be a precedent in, the, in Peoria around me right now for this sermon. God's like, eh, wait. We've talked about Jonah before. We've done a Sunday school class session on Jonah. We've spent an evening in Bible study about Jonah. But the last time we took a really deep dive into Jonah was, was like a decade and a half ago. So I think the world has turned a few times since then. And when I look at where we're at right now, maybe it's helpful for us to remember Joel and Jonah today. That it's the doom and gloom guy with the end times who says, let me hold out hope to us sinners. Let me reach out to you guys and embrace you guys. And it's the prophet and the fish that just wanted to see people burn. Because InstaFace Twit is full of prophets today. I don't know if you're aware of that. Everybody who can type will tell you who is wrong and who is right and what should happen. I'm telling you, this is truth. They're prophets, right? But they're prophets, obviously, from opposite ends, because just like you have Christians saying, yes, all those non-Christians who are doing this stuff, oh, they should fry. There was another guy, there was another guy who was an atheist who said, well, I mean, Christians have persecuted people over the centuries. Uh, apparently, there was somebody who even commented about, ah, oh, you know, churches have, have abused children. But this other guy said, yeah, churches have abused people for centuries. They have no right to get upset when people are angry and respond back. Prophets. Christian otherwise, right? But prophecy doesn't always have to be preaching God's righteousness and truth. Or even preaching humanistic morality. Insta-faced with prophets. It's just venting frustration. Isn't it? A lot of times just venting frustration, like really trying to honor God. 
Hint. Hint. If you get excited when the unrighteous... By the way, you know who the unrighteous are, right? Of course you do. Ambrose Bierce said, you know, there's two kinds of people. There's the, un, the righteous and the unrighteous. And the categorization is made by the righteous. Okay. Think about that at home. Point is, everybody who isn't us, the other side of the coin, if you ever find yourself excited when they get their comeuppance, or excited that they will get their comeuppance, hint, you're Jonah, not Joel. It does not honor Christ. But we do. We get excited about that. Joel was terrified about the great and terrible day of the Lord, and he hoped for their salvation. Jonah was excited to see them fry. Spoilers. Sits on a hill to watch them fry. And you go, what a horrible prophet. Careful. Careful. Have you ever been excited when somebody finally got what was coming to them? Have you ever thought, well, at least by golly, they should. Have you ever gotten frustrated that they don't seem to get what's coming to them? How come bad things happen to all the people I like and all the people on the other side of the equation seem to get off scot-free? Jonah. You're Jonah, not Joel. Jonah 1-1, because we're in Jonah, so feel free to open up Jonah. Jonah 1-1. The word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, came to Jonah, son of Amittai. In fact, his name means dove, because he's this gentle, loving, warm, fuzzy soul. But we know from 2 Kings uh, chapter 14 that he's a national prophet. He's a professional prophet in the court of King Jeroboam. In fact, he grew up and, and was raised um, not too far from Nazareth. So this is a good guy, and as far as we know... He did his job well. He was good at it. He was conscientious about it. He was a good national prophet. In fact, that might, might end up being part of the problem, but I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Anybody, do you guys remember where, where Nineveh is, what that is all about? This should be familiar. This is if not, talk to me later. But this, this is Europe and the, and, and the Mediterranean basin. So Jonah is sitting there in Jerusalem, and God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go 700 miles northeast, which is a bit of a jaunt back in the day when most people never traveled more than 5, 10 miles from where they were born. I want you to go 700 miles into Assyria, next to the Euphrates River, go to Nineveh. It's helpful to remember that at this time, Assyria is the bad guys. In fact, it's kind of hard to tell the time when they weren't what everybody else would consider the bad guys. But they're the bad guys. Think of them like the mafia with a protection racket. Right now, at this period in history, they were telling Israel, if you give us enough money every year, we won't come and attack you. Pay us to do nothing. Because we'd hate for there to be, you know, like an accident. Maybe... Maybe one of your towers just falls down. I mean, who's to say? That. Nobody in, in Israel likes Assyria at this stage. And God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. Actually, there's, the command has an interesting nuance uh, in Hebrew that you don't get in English. God literally says, get up right now and go. Get up right now and go to the great city of Nineveh. Right now, move. There's a time constraint to this. I want you moving in that direction. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And that's, an, okay, that's another thing. 
The word he uses here for wickedness or for evil, it's an interesting one. And, and we're going to see as we go through Jonah that the writer of Jonah is extremely careful about his words. He's really, really thoughtful about it. He picks words and picks ways of expressing them in interesting ways. So I want to pick up the nuances with these. But he says, I want you to preach against Nineveh because its wickedness is, is coming up. And the word he uses here does mean evil, but it's usually used in the context of like a natural disaster, like, a, like an earthquake or tornado or things. So he says, I want you to preach against them. So they're doing something wrong because I know that this disaster is coming on them, but it seems to be coming on them because of what they've done. So maybe, maybe instead of wickedness or evil here, the better word to kind of convey it is, is calamity. It is a disaster of their own making that's coming up. So preach against it because their calamity has come up before me. Now, if you're the national prophet of Israel and God says, I want you to go to the mafia and tell them they're going down. I want you to go to the enemies of Israel. Go to Nineveh, the lion's den. And I want you to tell them calamities are coming. How would you feel if you're Jonah? I mean, on one hand, I could totally picture him going, yes, score. I would love to send that email. Right? I would love to be the one to do some sort of broadcast from a distance telling people of Nineveh that they're going down because they deserve it. I do struggle to picture being excited to travel 700 miles into enemy territory to tell them something they're not going to want to hear. That does not sound like fun. And I, I totally get that. I totally get that. But God specifically and clearly says, get up right now. Get, get off your tuchus. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And so Jonah, being the professional prophet of God, listening to God, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, which is in Spain. God says, I want you to go 700 miles to the northeast and Jonah says, I'm going to go 2,000 miles due west, which, if you think about it, is not really the same thing. <laughs> this is as far as he could go. In, it, as far as he's concerned, this is as far as he could go in the opposite direction from what God is calling him to do. He's a professional prophet. His whole job, literally his whole job, is to follow God and speak God's words to people. And yet he literally goes the wrong way. Why? How could he be so foolish? Have you ever struggled with that? Has there ever been a time as Christians where you might know what God wants us to do, what God wants you to do, and then not done that? I know I have, and Peggy apparently has, and uh, my guess is that some of the rest of you have. Some of you are making eye contact and nodding, and some of you are really not making eye contact. But if our job is to be ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ, and our job is to go share with people God's word, go share with people God's love, would we ever pick and choose who to reach out to with God's love or 
who to share God's truth with or, or who, to, who might deserve God's grace from our hands? You ever, ever not share with somebody? Fuck, that's, there's a lot of times when we don't share with people. I get that. But is there ever times where you go, I should probably do something here, and then you don't do it? I should probably say something, and you don't say it. I should probably reach out to her and never get around to it. It's not really your thing. It's not really your training. It's not really your job. It's totally your job. It's totally your job. Do it your way, but it's totally your job. Would we ever hold back when God tells us to step forward? Would we ever decide? Would we ever decide that there's some people it's kind of worth hating? I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, so correct me and uh, stop me if I have. But as far as I know, contrary to Ambrose Beers, I would say there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ and need your love and those who you really want to be your brothers and sisters in Christ and need your love. I don't know of a third branch. Maybe I'm missing one. But the idea that there are enemies here, people that are our enemies, who we want to get their due, get what they deserve, that's kind of antithetical to the whole gospel message, isn't it? As I understood it, the reason that the gospel message is the good news is that we're praising God that we don't get what we deserve. That none of us necessarily have to get what we've earned, what we deserve. And I'll be honest with you, just in the past month, I've run into Christians who lean conservative. And I've run into Christians who lean liberal. Who have both giddily informed me that they were very happy to hear that people on the other side of the equation were getting what's coming to them. In fact, in two situations, just within the last month, in two situations, it was in the context of a conversation I was having about why we need to love those on the other side of the fence. In the midst of that conversation, to my face, they're like, yeah, and I hope they fry. Maybe use slightly different words. Now, one of them, they were laughing, so it's okay. If you're like holding, if you're holding a drink or you're holding a biscuit or you're, you're chuckling at a dinner party and you go, <laughs> hate, then it's okay. The other one expressed it as, I hope they get what's coming to them because that's what they've been doing to everybody all along. And they deserve a little bit of it. They've been dishing out. Neither one had a glimmer that what they were doing was exactly what we just got finished talking about, not doing. They didn't realize they were doing the same thing. Like the other, there's another person on Facebook with the uh, Peoria Christian Church, uh, Peoria uh, Chinese Christian Church vandalism, who said, hey, police, when you find out who did this vandalism, I'll go to their house and do that to their house and their bedroom and their car. See how they like it. Because the best way to respond to somebody doing something hateful is to do it to them and see what they think. Because that's what Jesus did, right? Do unto others what they did to you. Yes? Haven't you, haven't you met ambassadors of that Christ? Oh, I see ambassadors of that Christ. 
all the time. That's not my Christ. That's not the Bible's Christ. But if you are the only Bible, if you are the only Christ that some people will ever come in contact with, then that's how they understand the Bible. That's how they understand the church. That's how they understand Jesus to be, right? Because they heard it from you. Oh, yeah, I'll do it to them. And I, I guarantee, I guarantee that right now, as I'm speaking, there are going to be some people that absolutely will not, absolutely cannot hear me because it will never dawn on them that I could possibly be talking about them. But I'm telling you right now that there are Christians, even pastors, even professional national prophets who want to honor Yahweh. I'm telling you right now that there are all of those people, all of us people, all of us are susceptible to feeling so strongly about God that we utterly ignore his patently clear directives. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who are jerks to you. And we say, yes, I will hate those people. You literally ignored what he just got finished saying. Peter says, make sure you show respect to even the twisted leaders in Rome. You know, like Domitian, who is lighting Christians on fire at night to light the roadway. Show them respect. And we go, yep, take those guys down. I don't know whose car that is. It's probably mine, because I've been moving around. But you have to stop and think, am I part of this? Do I reflect this? Which way am I going? Because it's so easy to go to Spain. No spoilers here, but that's what Jonah does, right? He goes to Spain because he wants to not do what he knows full well God wants to happen. He runs away because he knows God, and he knows that if he follows God, God is such a good guy that he will probably forgive the wrong people. So if I go to Spain, God can't forgive them because nobody will preach to them, they won't repent, and they'll fry as they should. I love God so much, and I love my people who are being victimized so much that stand against those hateful victimizers and I know better than God because I love God so much I will go the opposite direction from him and we can sit there and say Jonah what a rotten guy you're a bad prophet I would never do that are there people that you know deserve to be smited people that you know deserve smiting and you might sit there and go no no I'm sitting in a pew looking at a pastor asking a loaded question. No. <laughs> but certainly no more than any of us deserve smotichness, Nosity. No, no, no. I would never, I would never, I would never say that. I, I so appreciate God's grace. Guys, I'm pretty sure that prior to Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah appreciated God's grace. I'm pretty sure prior to that verse. He appreciated everything that Brandy just read from Psalm 103. I'm pretty sure he was on top of all that. But when the rubber hits the road and God said, grace, and he goes, grace. Compassion, compassion. Love, love. Slow to anger, slow to anger. Nineveh, whoa, Spain. Because 
I like it in principle, but in point of practice, when directed toward her, no. Point of practice, great, but you know, he, if you just knew what he'd done, no. When the rubber hits the road, grace is a scary thing if it means that you have to forgive the wrong people. Wait, it's the Samaritan? Who's the good guy? Wait, what? Because you can preach all day long that God loves sinners and wants to embrace them into his family, but if the rubber hits the road, when the rubber hits the road, if you find yourself going, anyone who isn't us, anyone who's a sinner, they're icky, and I don't really want to embrace them because their ickiness taints our stuff. Their sin is ruining my stuff. Our country, my church, my... Th- I don't like them. You're more Jonah than you are Joel. You can preach all day long against fascism and generational sin and, a, and brutality and, and hatred. But at the end of the day, when you are faced with hatred, you respond by clearing, clearly demonstrating that you hate those who hate. That if anybody would attack and mute others, you'll attack and mute them. You're more Jonah than you are Joel. This isn't a Republican thing. This isn't a Democrat thing. This isn't an evangelical thing. This isn't a um, mainline Christianity thing. It's a human thing. We tend to feel totally justified in doing unto others what they did to us. Because at that moment, that feels more natural than following Jesus. So Jesus says, Nineveh, and we say, Spain. I guarantee, right now there are people who think I'm either talking about somebody else, or they're offended because they feel like I might be talking about them. Let me lovingly, respectfully say, I don't think I've said anything here contrary to Scripture. So if you feel like I'm not talking about you, just take a double check. If you think I'm offensively talking about you, take a double check. Because they can sit and go, how could this possibly be wrong? How could the possible, how could the Bible possibly be chiding me when all I want to do in my heart is despise evil people the way I describe them in my head? How can that possibly be wrong? Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, professional prophet. Get up right now and go to the great city of Nineveh. Preach against it because its calamity has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Spain because he really didn't want the ministry God had called him to. He was fine with ministry. Did that for a living. Just not this one to save them. So he made plans to thwart God's will. Because, I mean, look at what he says here. The prophet of the Lord ran away from the Lord, headed to Tarshish. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship bound for Tarshish. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So was this like an accident? Could, I mean, could he get to Sicily and sit there and go, oh, I thought this was going to Nineveh. I didn't know. No, it's, I aim for Tarshish. I bought a ticket for Tarshish. I set sail for Tarshish. Spain, 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 Spain. And let me repeatedly say, because I'm trying specifically to flee from the Lord. I did all this on purpose. But what's his plan? 
I mean, did he really think that God wouldn't notice? Really think that God might still be looking at Nineveh going, when's Jonah going to arrive? And he's just not paying attention that Jonah's sitting there eating paella over in Spain? What's the plan here? Did he really think that God would forget and go with some sort of plan B and find somebody else to do it? Really? I don't know. You ever do that? You ever think if I don't do this, surely somebody will? I don't know. What's your plan? I mean, this guy's a... I think the next plan is just no. Just not doing it. I don't care what happens next. I'm just not going to do none of it. I mean, this guy's a prophet. He should know better than to ignore or worse yet try to thwart God's will simply because he didn't want to. And we tend to look at him and go, Jonah, you're so foolish. But then I come back to us again because as Christians, it's our whole job, literally, to be sharing God's word, to be sharing God's love with people. Shouldn't we know better than to ignore or worse yet, try to thwart God's will because we don't want to serve. We don't want to do. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do something that will help them to want to be the one who reaches out to them. Surely somebody else will. I'm not good at that, but Donna is. Hopefully Donna will do that. And I do think it's interesting. Twice over we're told specifically Jonah went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It's not even just from doing the Lord's will, which is how we usually take that. He's fleeing from the Lord, like that works. But I'm trying to get away from God. I know that what I'm doing is contrary to what he wants. So my first reaction is, how do I hide? I'm sorry, what was the first reaction of the first people who figured out that they did exactly what God told them not to do? To hide, right? I'm going to go hide myself, and maybe God won't find us. Eden's got such dense foliage. Maybe he won't see. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know, am I his keeper? Maybe God won't figure it out. Our immediate reaction. David, oh, wait, I got Bathsheba pregnant. How do I hide that? Our immediate reaction is to hide. Isn't that what we're told about several times over in Scripture? That when we're in sin, we, we're like cockroaches. We don't like the light. We don't stand in the middle of the room. We go scurry into the dark. But there is no dark. There's no dark that God can't see through. So it's not even about actively and effectively hiding from God. Because he's got to know. He's a prophet. He knows you can't actually hide. But doing contrary to God's will is so toxic, so detrimental, that it starts eating away and poisoning that relationship that we have with God. We know we can't hide, but we just can't look at him. There's a reason why we're told, even in the the Lord's Prayer, repent, turn, turn my face away from this, turn me from that toward you, because we consciously, constantly turn away from God. Sometimes we like to say and feel like we're still following him. But by definition, we're getting farther and farther and farther and farther away. But by definition... 
if we're not careful, we start burning out and poisoning that relationship to such a degree that we feel it less and less. We get used to the dark corner. We're trying, we're trying, and yet we feel like we're the ones in the right. Which is why I appreciate that the Lord then sent, literally hurled, hurled a, a, a great wind. God wasn't done with Jonah. It wasn't just like, oh, then you're a write-off. No, God hurled this great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm came up that the ship threatened to break up. Because here's the thing, you can't actually run from God. You can try to harden your heart to God, but even then, didn't, didn't he use Pharaoh's hardened heart? Didn't he use Pharaoh in spite of himself? doesn't matter if you're a priest who disregards God's leading and does, burns your own incense, or if you're a king who dis, disregards God's leading and does your own sacrifice instead of waiting. doesn't matter if you're a Christian who knows better than God. The truth is, you're not honoring the Lord. And the truth is, he still actively loves you. You are doing it wrong and dishonoring God and sometimes even using his name to do it. And God says, I'm going to seek you out because I love you. And sometimes I will gently put my hand around your shoulder and draw you back. And sometimes I will hurl a great wind against you. But I will come for you because I love you. That's true for Jonah as it is for the Ninevites. Maybe I'll leave off there. Maybe that's a good place to stop. I know, four four verses into it. We'll do more in subsequent weeks. But I just wanted to set a framework for this because this is not a children's story. This is not a fairy tale about how God sent a whale to swallow Jonah because he needed to punish Jonah. In fact, every part of that synopsis is incorrect and inaccurate. This, at its core... The book of Jonah, at its core, is a story about God's love, about his grace toward people who don't deserve it. Starting with the prophet who thought he could decide who deserves it. Everything about this book is about that. Time and time again, God sends Jonah. Jonah grumbly doesn't really do what he's supposed to do. And God uses Jonah to bring people to him and to repentance in spite of Jonah. And Jonah going, I think you're wrong. And God's still loving him and God's still using him. It is a book all about grace. But to understand that, I needed to spend at least one Sunday saying, do you want to be more Joel or Jonah in this? Because you have to understand what we're looking at before we ever start talking about fish. God used Samson in spite of himself. God used Jonah in spite of himself. God used Judas in spite of himself. God used Pilate in spite of himself. Because God was sovereign, yes? God will use you. Do you want him to use you in spite of yourself? Or do you want to be blessed? Because you're part of God's will and you're an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Let me give you homework. Let me give you homework. Just take a moment this week and look at your heart and say, am I Jonah or am I Joel? If people around you, people you love and know, you're at a dinner party and they go, oh, huh, huh, you're typing on InstaFace Twit. They're joking about those people. 
maybe, maybe God's calling you to say, I love you. Let me respectfully and lovingly say, I love you. I may even agree with your basic conclusion, but I cannot abide by your heart. This is not, this is not Joel, this is Jonah. Both of them are saying people need to repent and they're both right. You might be right in what you're saying, but not in how you're saying it. Maybe we take a stand for being loving because there is no us versus them. They're not the people we fight against. They're the people we're fighting for. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for negative examples like Jonah who remind us how easy it can be to righteously be unrighteous. And I pray, Lord, help us to truly honor you. Even as we're calling for repentance, even as we're calling people to change, help us to weep for their lot in life. Help us to yearn for their salvation. Help us to love them well because we want to honor you well. In Jesus' name, amen.